Welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers podcast. We release podcasts here, in part and in full, on the Joy of Sunflowers website. The Joy of Sunflowers podcast is about sisterhood through infertility and pregnancy loss. We cover a range of topics including fertility, pregnancy after loss and so much more. I speak with a range of people including wellness professionals, medical experts and beautiful mamas. The aim of this podcast is to bring you information and experiences that will validate and equip you for whatever season you find yourself in right now. Hi Scott, welcome to the Joy of Sunflowers. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, please introduce yourself a little bit more. Um, yeah, thanks for having me a lot. Um, my name is Scott Beasley. Um, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I'm at home with my family of uh five right now so my wife and then three little kids three under three at this point so a lot going on um i work in uh financial services here in the united states um in knoxville tennessee and always happy to share my story um as which is why we're here today yeah wonderful and and it's so important to do so like to to have people who are speaking out so thank you so much for for being someone who is speaking um so let's dive in and start from the very beginning um did you always know you wanted to be a dad or was it something that you sort of came to um i went through a lot of di different iterations so growing up in the southern united states uh very early on, it was like, you're going to have kids just because that's what you do. You get married and have kids. And then uh, I went off to college and probably through most of my 20s, I was like, I don't I don't want to have kids. Even when my wife and I met, uh, we were the, that young uh, couple out at a restaurant or something who would like look at the kids making noise and just be like, oh, we don't want that sort of thing. Um, you know, kind of judgy and everything. And I even told friends that came to our wedding. I was like, yeah, we don't ever want to have kids. And then um, I'm not sure exactly what changed other than um, we grew closer and closer uh, with my wife's sister and her daughter. So uh, our niece um, and it just like slowly changed over time until it was like, we're just ready to start a family and some other things changed in our life. And it was kind of a domino effect where it's like, okay, we're, ready to get started now. We think we want to do this. Um, we obviously didn't take it lightly. It wasn't flipping or anything. Um, and so in 2018, um, we told my family and, and her family that we were going to start trying to have some kids. Um, we went, it was funny, from zero, not wanting to have any, to when I asked my wife, you know, how many kids do you want to have? And she said four. And I was like, how do we go from zero to four kids. Um, and so I was, I grew up an only child. My wife grew up with one sister who's uh, only like 18 months older than her. So very close together. Um, so it's it very interesting, like our dynamics going into it and how different they were. Like she didn't have a bunch of siblings. I had a bunch of cousins that she didn't really have the same environment as that. So when we made the decision, we were like, okay, we want to have kids. Um, and what's interesting, and we can probably talk a little bit more about, I know this is about a certain part of our journey through loss, uh, but we've had just about every birth experience you can have uh, just in reverse, because with our first child, we actually did a home birth with her. 
um, and I caught her coming out uh, in our <laughs> at our house uh, with just some midwives and a doula around and our dogs in the background. Um, and then each child has become progressively like a little bit more difficult in the birthing process, including uh, the loss of our third, uh, which is obviously the most difficult. Um, but in a way, uh, I just tell people it gives me the ability to speak to kind of all situations that may come up uh, from the from the dad's perspective or the partner's perspective uh, when it comes to birth and having children and everything. It was kind of a long, weird answer, but uh, that's how we kind of came about it. Yeah, no, it's it's good. And and like like I said, it's so important to share. And it's when we've had so many experiences, um, you know, it, it is growing, you know, we, we grow from it and there's just, there's so much value in our experiences and, you know, we can really help others with that. So, yeah. Um, so where did you go from there? Like you, so you've decided you're like, yes, we're going to have kids. Now I want four, even though we didn't want them before. <laughs> so, um, so how did it start from there? Did you, um, you know, how did you move through, uh, to, yeah. to your first pregnancy? Um, so almost immediately we both started looking for new jobs that were going to be both more supportive and frankly, um, more lucrative and financially supportive because we were both kind of in um fun positions and so i know that's not actually maybe necessarily part of like getting pregnant and the journey of birth and everything but i think for a lot of people you know that that can be a challenge is like the resources available particularly what we have here like i look back on the career both of us had previously and we both worked in the evenings um so what would that have meant for taking care of our kids at night even and like how we would switch off shifts and then like affording things and this and that so honestly like one of the first things was we were both exploring other job opportunities and what would support our careers or support our family based on our careers um and from there it was just you know um my wife had to transition off of birth control which she'd been on for a long time in our relationship and a few different kinds um that was probably the first challenge we had was pretty early on. Um, you know, everyone's kind of always, when you don't want to be pregnant, you're kind of scared of getting pregnant. And then when you're ready to get pregnant, you're like, why is this not happening instantly? So I remember, you know, we were just trying for a few months maybe. And uh, my wife was instantly like worried about something being wrong with one of us. And, you know, I think there is, along with the loss, the, the fertility port part of it is there are a lot of pros and cons to social media. And I think one of the pros that we had in both instances is people are a lot more open about their journeys. Now, obviously, we're having this conversation today, but even just people posting about going through IVF, um, being tested for various things, uh, the, the statistic of one in four women having pregnancy loss, things like that, just knowing that it was there and people around us were experiencing it and open about all of those things was really helpful. Um, and so it was funny that pretty quickly uh, she wanted both of us to get checked out and like, you know, have her eggs tested, have my sperm tested and everything. And we did those things. 
And it was kind of ironic because I think by the time we got the results back, she was already pregnant. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things like her body and her hormones just had to go through sort of a correction cycle of being on birth control for so long and health things like that. Um, and, and so she, she got pregnant with our first pretty quickly around that time. Um, all, pretty much all of that was care through the midwifery that we were seeing uh, an OB at times, but most of the supportive care was through them. Um, you know, I, I remember my wife asking me, uh, I think it was with our first pregnancy. She asked me at one point if I was actually excited about it. Um, and for me, I don't know if many other partners deal with this, but for me, I was from the beginning, always so scared of losing a baby. And so I was like, I, it just doesn't feel real to me because it's not my body, but I was like, it doesn't really feel real to me until they're here. Um, and so that was something I was always dealing, dealing with in a way. Um, and even towards the end of that pregnancy or around like 35, 36 weeks, with each one of her, her pregnancies, she's had um, hypertension, gestational hypertension. And so there was always that concern for both her and the baby's health. Um, like I said, with the with our firstborn, we were able to still go through with um, birthing at home. I remember her being on the pet bed and trying to get a blood pressure reading in between contractions, which was interesting. Um, like with a little automatic blood pressure oh, cuff. Yeah, and being poked yeah. while you're doing that. <laughs> just not yeah well that was kind of the beauty of the that home is she could move around and she was free she didn't have any other monitors except for that and they basically yeah. just said we need this one reading to say we don't have to go transfer to a hospital uh because that was the, the you know that was the benefit of the midwifery we were able to go with was they were very medically sound and they were not going to try and uphold either your wishes of a home birth or their wishes of a home birth, if it was going to jeopardize anybody's safety, they were very on top of it. And so we're always grateful for that. Um, and so basically they got the reading that they needed and they said, okay, we're going to keep doing this. And our first born was, she was born in about four hours um, from the time my wife's water broke to her coming out was about four hours, which was crazy fast. Um, so that was a very unique experience, obviously. And, you know, we were just first time parents. Ironically, if you have a child born at home, then everyone just leaves at like 2 a.m. and you're just left there with no one and you've never taken care of a newborn before. So that was pretty funny. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can imagine because I had my first in the hospital and, and, and the midwives had to just like take care of him for the first, you know, few hours because I was just not good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with our with our second, that was the thing is, you know, we had the polar opposite experience. And when he came along, my wife was like, can I get the can I just give birth at home? Because the home experience of being able to move up and like get up and move around and not have all these wires on me and everything. She's like, that was great for laboring. But she's like, then I want to go to the hospital and have somebody just take care of me and take care of the baby and I can recover. I was like, not, not a bad solution. Um so, so, you know, between the births, so she gave birth in September to Cameron 
Um, and then I don't re- really remember exactly when it was. Oh, I think Cameron was six months old and she turned six months old when the pandemic really shut everything down in March of 2020. And that's also the time we found out that she was pregnant with our second. And so it had been one of those things where we weren't really thinking about it. And then like we, I think she was still breastfeeding. And so there's that old sort of at this point in our book, the myth of if you're still breastfeeding, you can't get pregnant because she obviously did. Um, And so that happened. Um, For that one, I think because there wasn't enough recovery time between pregnancies, there were some other things going on. So pretty quickly she they called it risked out of the home birth. So we couldn't do a home birth with our son. Um, and, and so most of that was your p- pretty standard procedure of like going through care and birthing at um, a hospital. So they are 17 months apart. He was born in February of 21. You know, I was wearing a mask in the delivery room because COVID was still pretty rampant. Um, I think... Vaccines were not out yet at that point. They came out a few months later. Um, that one was your pretty standard one. She didn't have a C-section. She didn't take an epidural because, you know, various things we can talk about the birthing process. And so then we had two. We had, you know, a 17-month-old and a newborn at that point. And that was in February. And then leading us to, you know, part of the reason that we're here is that then again, still breastfeeding. But I remember in July, all of a sudden my wife was pregnant again. Um, And just, I remember us laughing at that one. Like, you've got to be kidding. Like we weren't upset or anything. It wasn't like a, oh no, it was like (laughs) just hilarious to us at this point that we'd start off our journey wondering if we had fertility problems. And now we had two kids that were 17 months apart and we were about to have two kids that were 13 months apart uh, because her due date was going to be in March of 22 when our son had just been born in February of 21. And it was, it was just crazy. Um, and so, so with that, um, similar thing, we kind of knew we were going to, um, like risk out of the, uh, home birth care. I think we still checked in on it and they were just like, because of a particular medication my wife was on, they're like, yeah, that just automatically kind of disqualifies you. And we said, okay, we understand. Again, everybody trying to be, you know, as helpful as possible or like as medically sound as possible. Um, and at this point we were on our third provider. So we had had the midwives for our firstborn and then for our second one, we were in a high-risk obstetrician's office at um, University of Tennessee here in Knoxville for most of that care. But my wife still wanted to return to the midwife experience, so we found an obstetrician in, in the area who had midwives in his practice. And so we were going with that so that she could still do some of the midwife stuff, do a lot more of the movement and natural birth just within a hospital setting. Um, And so like this starts to get into that third pregnancy. If you want me to continue going through that. 
Yeah, yeah. Just want to make sure. Okay. Um, okay. So we found out in about July that she was pregnant. And it would have been in either everything was going normally. And we were just kind of like, you know, we're going to have three kids under three. And then September or October, I think around October, beginning part of October, um, I remember I had gone to the gym and I was sitting in the parking lot waiting to go in. And I got a call from my wife. I think it was a call and not a text. Um, And she said, um, I think she said, I'm bleeding and I need you to come home. And so luckily I hadn't gone in. I just immediately pulled out, raced home. I remember her saying like, I think one of our kids was in the floor and the other may have been napping. And she's like, okay, I'm going to like, you just watch the kids and I'm going to leave. And I was, I remember saying like, what are you doing? Um, of course I'm going to take, take you. And we don't have any family in our area. And so we loaded up the kids and took them and she knew something was wrong, but it wasn't as severe. And so this was, um, you know, fall of 21. So still a lot going on with, with COVID at this time. And that's significant because I remember we got to the hospital and we called a few different uh, babysitters that we knew to try and come and just take the kids back home so that we could deal with that because we were in the emergency room. And my wife was 16 weeks at the time, I believe. It was either 14 or 16 weeks. Um, and we we eventually got somebody to come and take the kids, but we sat in the waiting room for about three hours with her bleeding because there were no beds available. And they said, because you're not 20 weeks, you can't go to late labor and delivery to L&D. You have to go to the emergency room and stay here until somebody can see you. And this is all significant because um, we eventually got taken back and this was on a Sunday afternoon. So no primary people are working there and the radiologist or whomever it was that uh, did the ultrasound was just scanning along and not really saying anything and apparently didn't know how to turn the sound on, on the ultrasound machine. And she looked at us my, you know, I'm holding my wife's hand. We're very tense. She said, what's wrong guys? Like, are you okay? We're like, we're just waiting to hear something. She's like, Oh, the baby's fine. And we're like, what do you mean? She's like, Oh yeah, here's the heartbeat. Like everything's fine. And we just broke down at that point and she thought it was so strange. And she's like, well, I just don't know how to turn the sound on this machine, but everything's fine. I said, why do you think that we're here on a Sunday afternoon in the OR getting an ultrasound? <laughs> just because we were like hanging out, wanting to hear a baby. Like, so that was a weird experience. And we felt relieved. We scheduled a follow-up for the next uh, morning. We went in got somebody it, it's amazing to see the difference in people who do the ultrasounds every day versus kind of a generalist thing and they answered pretty instantly they said it was um oh i forget what it's called but essentially part of the placenta had come up off of the uterine wall and it just bled a lot 
Um, my wife knows the name of it, but I forget. And so they said, that's basically what it is. Everything's fine. Um, they said, this is not uncommon. Um, it seems like a lot of blood and it's not that it's not, but you know, you did the right thing by coming to the ED and everything. So we're like, okay, we feel better. Um, little less activity. And they even said like my wife's activity didn't cause anything, but she just still was like, I'm going to back off a little bit of on stuff. So this was around, like I said, somewhere between 14 and 16 weeks. And so life goes on from that point. We have other appointment, maybe one other appointment, I believe. So maybe it was 14 weeks and then we had a 16 week appointment. And then the night before, so, or the day before our 20 week appointment, um, I'm up early in the morning, pretty much every day. My wife comes downstairs and she's like, she said that there had been some discoloration when she got up to go to the bathroom in the morning. And I was like, well, she, she just acted like it wasn't too bad. So, well, let's, you know, we, we've kind of been through this already. Let's wait a little bit and kind of reevaluate. And I think she said that she wanted to go ahead and call the, the OB on call. I said, okay, that's fine. And pretty quickly, um, cause this was around five, five thirty in the morning, pretty quickly, I think she went back to the bathroom and there was a lot more blood. And she said, no, this is different. We have to go. And so our kids are, you know, probably an hour and a half, two hours from normally waking up. So same sort of thing. I was like, you can't drive yourself. I think she wanted to drive herself. I was like, no, put them in, the, got them up, put them in the car. And she pretty quickly was like, something is going wrong. Um, you know, we probably should have driven to a closer hospital, but I drove to the one that we'd been seeing, which was kind of far away from us because I knew that we at least had some experience there and they knew who we were. And I remember my wife telling me, if there's any time for you to get speeding tickets right now, like just go. And so um, I just remember what she was going through and telling me it was different. And she said she felt like she was giving birth. Um, and the whole time I'm like, I feel like we've done this before. I don't know how this is different. I like, obviously there's nothing I can do. Um, and just wanting to get somewhere and get some answers. And so we got to the hospital and I sent her in. Um, and we said, you know, she is 20 weeks, take her back to labor and delivery. Um, she was much more frantic this time than she had been the previous time we were there. So they started to take her straight back. And I said, I've got two more kids in the car with me. So somebody came with me. I think I parked the car and somebody helped me like get the kids out. I think I carried my daughter and my son was still in, in like the car seat that I could just pop into a stroller. And we're going back, kind of weaving through, getting back there. And I remember uh, like entering the hallway where the nurse's station was. And they basically like, why do you have these kids here? Like they're the kids shouldn't be here. And they kind of explained the situation. They put us over in a side room, but I could hear my wife in kind of a triage room, just screaming. And so I took my kids over and my daughter's a year and a half at this point. So she's kind of like talking and stuff. She would have been, uh, no, she's two probably. She's probably two at this point. Um, so she would have been talking and everything. And um, I was just kind of trying to distract her, give her things to draw on and whatnot. And then, um, like I was worried and everything was pretty surreal. And then, 
it changed when a nurse came to me and said, dad, you need to go over there. And that's when I kind of like knew in my body, like, again, still very surreal, not expecting this to happen. I mean, we've had two perfectly good pregnancies. The kids are sitting right there with us. Um, and so they said, you know, we'll take care of them. So they stayed with our kids and I went over there and I remember just kind of like seeing the area. And I think I did see our daughter as I came over, but like, I didn't want to believe it. I, I remember it not being what I expected. Um, and my wife was obviously in tears and very all over the place and upset and talking about how she wanted to save her and wanted her to be okay. And she was kind of going through that for a little bit. And then I think somebody had to say like, no, you, you already gave birth. Um, was kind of how they classified it. And, um, I remember my wife said that she, maybe she didn't say it then, but she said it at a different time that she essentially thought she had passed a blood clot because she'd passed like large blood clots before. And that's what it kind of felt like. Um, and I remember, and I talked about this on a different podcast. There's so many things like you, you remember very distinct things, but you don't always like remember the right things or the order of events, but kind of the flash memories I have are, um, I, I remember at some point looking at her and saying, I'm, this may not help right now, but we've talked about it before of like, there's a reason this happens and we just don't know what it is. And I, I remember her saying like that helped even in the moment. And I was like, if this is not helpful, like ignore me. And I don't think that's always the right answer, but my wife and I had, actually had that discussion before i think with each pregnancy of like we don't want this to happen but we understand scientifically if something goes wrong there is a reason for it it's not necessarily anything we did and even eventually not eventually the ob did show up and he reiterated several times like this is nothing you did like this happened we're going to for better or for worse, he immediately tried to start diagnosing some things and asking questions. Um, but he was very clear, like there was nothing that she had done or that we had done that caused this problem. Um, and so one of the distinct things that I remember um, and is not really something you could pre prepare for is they asked us if we wanted to hold her. And I had seen her there and I remember thinking to myself, this is quite, this is possibly something I'm going to regret to not hold her, but I also don't want to force myself into something that I'm unsure of because of everything that was going on. My wife wanted to hold her. So I knew like, let's accomplish that. Um, and so they wrapped her up handed her to my wife and she got to hold her while she was still talking and answering questions and stuff like that and you know there are a series of other questions that they ask after that and everything um and so we stayed there for a while and we answered some questions um i don't know if other people have experienced this but the 
physician basically tried to tell us what his diagnosis was like immediately. And I wish he hadn't done that. Um, I understand what he was trying to do, but I just don't think that that was helpful in the situation. Otherwise he was like generally very compassionate, but it's one of those things on reflecting on it. It's like, I wish you hadn't even bothered with that. Like that wasn't helping the situation. Um, and so like the, the next sort of things that happen that are kind of a, a snowball effect or like just come pretty rapidly is, you know, they have to take her away and they took us over to the other room and they started asking us these questions. They were, they were very patient, but you know, um, what was her name, which we hadn't really decided on a name yet. Um, and essentially what we wanted to be done with her body. Did we want to have an, I think some sort of autopsy done. Do we want to have her cremated? Do we want them to essentially dispose of the remains or take them with us? And very frustrating. It felt like that was all had to be made very quickly. And so we did our best on those decisions. Um, some of them, we wish that we would have made different decisions. Um, I remember I was like, I said, I don't know how I'm going to handle processing this um, or if I'm ever going to feel like I did the right thing if we take her home with us. Um, I was like, you know, do, do we keep her always with us? Do we bury her? If we move, what does that mean if we bury her? Like, I just remember saying that I didn't feel like I could make a right decision based on that. And I would rather leave it in somebody else's hands and take what we could with us. Um, cause one of the things that the nurses did was they had some small outfits and stuff that they essentially dressed her up in like some newborn type things. And instead of just giving us pictures, they gave us a little SD drive and they said, if you want to see these, they're here. But if you choose to never see them, like you can also never see them. But they also gave us a little sort of care package of things that she had worn and so for me, and I think mostly for my wife, but definitely for me, it was like, okay, we have something that touched her and something that's a part of her and we can say what's hers. Um, even if we didn't have her anymore. And so that was significant enough for me. I know that I think a few weeks afterwards, my wife regretted our decision, but it's something that we had to live with. Um, there are essentially no right decisions to be made in this process. I really hope you enjoyed the first part of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit thejoyofsunflowers.com. Please note that all speakers, including experts and professionals, express information, views and opinions that should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any medical conditions. If you have a medical issue, please consult a qualified professional. Speakers voice their own views, opinions and conclusions and they may not reflect the views, opinions and conclusions of other speakers. Ella Rose, The Joy of Sunflowers and its sponsors may not endorse all or any of the views, opinions or conclusions expressed.